focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Kwon Soa and Kuk Dayan. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, our first story this evening. The South Korean government uh, Tuesday today has officially launched a police bureau that will from now on oversee the National Police Agency. Uh, this been has been uh, talked about for some quite time now. It's been met with controversies uh, time to time, but never less. Uh, so, uh, start us off with this. Sure. So, following the government's endorsement exactly a week ago, the Ministry of Interior and Safety officially established a police oversight bureau. This marks the first time in 31 years that the ministry has opened an organization to take such supervisory role. Uh, until 1991, the police had actually been under the Interior Ministry, which back then was called the Ministry of Home Affairs, uh, before becoming an independent agency. As back then, the decision was made to ensure the police independency and neutrality, police have been protesting against the police bureau, calling it a reversal of reforms made three decades ago, uh, which would threaten the police's political neutrality, is what they say. However, the Yoon Seo-gyeol administration saw the need for the bureau to keep the police's massive power in check on the back of laws that were revised during the former Moon Jae-in administration that will give the police more investigative authority and eventually strip the prosecution of its investigative powers. Now, the 16-member bureau will be in charge of overseeing the agency's policies and regulations, make recommendations for appointments and promotions of police positions, and will provide administrative support. The team will be led by Senior Superintendent General Kim Soon-ho. What's noticeable is that Kim, former head of the National Security Investigation Bureau, is not a graduate of the Korea National Police University, which usually would be a typical qualification for someone in this kind of position. And also, among the other members of the bureau, 12 others are or were police officials, with only one of them having graduated from Korea National Police University. Now, Interior Minister Lee Sang-min said the personnel have been appointed in a balanced manner according to each role, but uh, it's known that he had been criticizing the fact that those that graduated from this specific uh, the Korea National Police University were favored in uh, many cases. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm sure uh, it's the same way. F- I'm not sure how things are with the United States. So you go to the police academy. Everyone has to go to the police academy. But I don't know if there's like a separate police university. Uh, but uh, those can. There are people who can opt to just take the test and uh, become police officers, and then uh, you get stationed at certain police stations and whatnot. And then you can go through the. Uh, much tougher route. Which, by the way, the Korean National Police University, it's not something that anyone could go to. It's a very hard place to go to. Mm. Uh, those that go there, they, of course, look for ranking officer positions later on, which is why this is the two route. And, of course, those that graduate from the National Police University aim to be part of like the bureau that uh, we're talking about here. But, guys, again, this has been met with some support and controversy as well. Uh, I want to kind of get your thoughts on the police bureau. Let's start off with you, Tayan. 
Right. So to tell you about the response of the police, I think Soa also started it off with mentioning about how they had a protest. But to give you more details on that, so they're just furious. Nearly 50 chiefs of police stations from across the country met on Saturday with 150 joining online. And they had a protest against this whole government's decision. And I think what's more interesting is that in a reaction to the protest, the presidential office urged people to take disciplinary measures against these police chiefs that had taken part. And the thing is, this has only inflamed dissent because some members of the police are openly now daring the government to punish them. So the police is just overall not happy with the government going to the extremes, uh, explaining some examples of past military commanders and maybe making references that the police could be like that in the future. Uh, so what about yourself, your thoughts on the police bureau here? Well, I think uh, we really have to focus on the gist, uh, the essence of why the launch was needed and also why the police recently has been given more power and the prosecution's investigative power has been reduced. All of this is because we saw power abuse happening in the prosecution and also among the police. This is why uh, some people might think, why would we you know, launch a bureau that had been scrapped uh, because we needed more independence within the police, but it's all the reason is so that no one, no one can use their power and uh, you know abuse their power. So the so the I think the most important thing right now is uh, because we have launched uh, the bureau, there needs more communication between this new bureau and the police agency. And in fact, the leader of this new bureau, Kim Suno, has uh, mentioned today that uh, they will be very transparently noticing the police agency of their procedure in the future and that he understands the worries that not only the police but also the public has with the launching of this bureau. So if the bureau really does what it has been announcing to do, just supervising that the police does what it has to do yeah. and not using its own authority now to abuse, to you want to keep them in balance with yes. checks and balances and make sure that one side does not have more power than the other one. Exactly. That's uh, what I was going to say. And uh, that is what the Kim Suno, the leader, has been vowing earlier today uh, when they launched uh, the bureau. Yeah, I mean, because think about it. Uh, so what's happening is we have to go back to the previous Moon administration, right? The consensus was, and one of the, the main, even at the, the campaign pledge for uh, former President Moon Jae-in, uh, about five, more than five years ago was the fact that the prosecutors just have way too much more power. And he wanted basically to give some of that power to the police, uh, whereas the opposition were saying that, well, I mean, come on, you can't give too much power to the police. Uh, we need some checks and balances here. And so um, just if you, again, this was an issue that had asked uh, you know, like, for example, like the United, the people that live in the United States, right? I mean, that, those are the only people that I know. I don't know anywhere else, uh, people that live anywhere else. But I told them, listen, this is a situation in Korea. Uh, the prosecutors have this much power. Uh, the police have this much power. What's your thoughts on this? And the consensus even with there was that, I mean, shouldn't the police have more power? Uh, you know, w with the prosecutors, there's just too much investigative power is what some of them were saying. And that was cons kind of the consensus, which is why there was more power put into the police. And now they're saying, well, then the police have too much power and this bureau is in place. Is it fair is what it is. But then the biggest fear here right now, the biggest worry is it is the fact that these nominations that we're seeing, is it a political nomination or is it not a political nomination? Is it neutral uh, is the big thing. So uh, Hooligan KJ says there'll be transparency. Let's give him 
some time and see if he sticks to his word. So I think transparency is the most important thing. And uh, I mean, but the the fact is right now, it seems like the police are very, very upset right now with this bureau. So uh, we'll have to see how this pans out. It's one of those things where I don't think one side is going to be one side is going to be more happy than the other side here. It's not going to be fair game for yeah, both sides. It might sides. not seem very realistic in the near future, but I hope that in the end, the police even will you know benefit from this bureau if there's someone that uh, looks over their policies and regulations. Right. But then, you know, the reason why there's a big problem is the fact, number one, the, like the nominations right uh, but number two is like when there is someone overlooking uh, your organization and so forth automatically you're going man they think we're doing a bad job or they don't trust us uh, and so that's the re- I think that's one of the reasons for why uh, there is some uproar amongst the, the, the police uh, chiefs and so forth uh, but we'll see what happens I mean this is something that we're going to continue to talk about I'm sure uh, also we're going to now go into economy here we've been talking about uh, inflation Uh, Left and right for uh, several months right now, everywhere we go, whether it be grocery stores, restaurants, people just hesitant to open their wallets because of the prices. But it seems recently uh, announced that July inflation numbers do reflect these uh, soaring rates here. Uh, Tanya, let's let's get some uh, figures when it comes to the consumer prices. Right. So we do seem to be seeing record-breaking consumer price index numbers for the past several months, like you said. And according to Statistics Korea, inflation broke 6% in July once again. The consumer price index last month was 108.74, which was around a 6.3% increase on year. Now, this is the biggest increase since November 1998, when Korea was suffering from the, of course, Asian financial crisis. So basically, it's the highest it has ever been in 23 years and eight months. And I'm sure many people can remember, but the price also rose drastically in June when the consumer price index rose 6% on year. In March, April, and May, the inflation was also high as it hit the 4% and 5% mark. So let me give you the details on the price increase of July. Petroleum product price increases have slowed down as oil prices dropped, but then the consumer price index rose overall as the prices for services and agricultural livestock products increased. Eating out expenses also increased as well, something that can be explained by the rising grain and food ingredient prices and outdoor activities, according to the National Statistical Office. And by category, industrial products and services led the price rise in July. Prices of services especially rose drastically at 6%, which is the highest increase after 1998 April. Experts that the inflation will slow down after the current quarter, but it will take longer for inflation expectations to ease due to some lagging effects. And uh, experts do state that external uncertainties are starting to decrease and that the inflation will not soar as much once again in August. Now, as for annual core inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, a three-month run of successive acceleration ended in July as the rate was a steady 3.9%. So overall, I think we can say that this is a tentative sign of future relief from high inflation. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, one of the main reasons for why we had such uh, high inflation was because of energy prices and because of the food prices, right? And uh, that's stemming from uh, the war over in Ukraine. You take that out. I mean, the inflation figures, there is 
inflation, but it's not as bad. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely these uh, fuel prices, which by the way, I read earlier today that uh, the production of uh, gasoline from the South Korean refineries hit an all-time record uh, because they're just going to make, make profit so much from these gasolines these days because of record high prices that uh, even South Korean refineries have been pumping gasoline left and right here. Um, also, let's talk about subscription services. Uh, when we talk about subscription services, you could literally get everything, right? Like, uh, what is it, the OTT platforms with all your, uh, what is it, extraordinary attorney woos that you could watch, all the music streaming, even food and clothing these days can be done uh, through these subscription services. Uh, but here's an interesting one, uh, electric vehicle battery subscription. Uh, this is expected to make the purchase of EVs in Korea much more affordable here, potentially. So tell us more about this. Right. Uh, so this is a new concept that might shift many car buyers to electric vehicles in the future. Now, SJ and uh, Tayon, I don't know if you drive as well, but do you? No. Okay. So SJ, what if you could get Kia's latest EV Nero for around 14.3 million won? That's less than 11,000 US dollars. Would I buy it? Yeah, it's quite an no. attractive price, isn't it? No, but I wouldn't buy it. It's too small for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm being fair but, here. But okay, maybe, if, there, if there was a bigger car, if it was a bigger car, yes, that's a very good price. Okay. Because EVs are very, very expensive. Right. This is uh, super cheap. Yeah, if you um, hear the actual price, you might uh, think different because it's around 45.3 million won. Just about uh, 34,700 dollars. Yeah. yeah, roughly. So, um, thanks to a new law by the government that's expected to go into effect within this year, EV price tags might go down drastically. According to the Minister of Land, Transport and Infrastructure, which recently held a committee meeting to approve a revision to vehicle registration said that with this new law, it will become possible to have separate registrations of an electric vehicle and an electric vehicle battery. And those batteries cost quite a lot. And currently, the owner has to be the same one. So yeah. uh, the owner has to be the owner of the EV as well as the EV battery. That meaning you may only have to purchase the car itself in the future and car firms or financial firms can provide you with EV batteries through a subscription service. So going back to the Nero, 45.3 million is uh, the price tag right now, minus 10 million won in government subsidies, minus around 21 million won battery pack. That would amount to the little over 14 million won I mentioned earlier. So, but what needs to be considered though is how much the battery rent will yeah. cost in the end to really actually get those uh, benefits. So uh, I actually looked up EV battery subscription on Google and found that VinFast, Vietnamese EV maker, rolled out a subscription program in the U.S. earlier this year, I think. And uh, the company leases a battery pack to drivers on a monthly basis. And the batteries also have a lifetime warranty under the service, with VinFast replacing batteries if they cannot charge above 70%. And we might have those similar benefits in the future in Korea as automotive and financial industry sources say, South Korea's Hyundai Motor Group's auto financing unit, Hyundai Capital Services, is getting ready to launch a lease service for EV batteries next year. So how much is it? I, th I thought that's what you were going to tell me, the rent price. The, oh, the rent. We don't know as of yet how much it will be. Oh, I thought, I thought that's what we're getting because that was the big uh, curiosity is how expensive is the subscription, right? Because that certainly changes things because... 
with the subscription people, uh, it's kind of like leasing a car. Mm. Uh, they're going to charge you to a certain point where they're gonna have to. Uh, make a profit, right? So I, that's the thing that I'm, I'm afraid about. I'm scared about is the fact that what if they charge you, and you know, astronomical amount uh, for these batteries? It will have to be um, attractive for uh, the purchaser. So I think that is why, for instance, this Vietnamese company also is not only asking for a monthly fee, but also provides like a lifetime warranty, and uh, that's something that South Korean companies might be benchmarking so that really we have uh, some profit out of this. Yeah, and also that would probably mean that you can't sell the car, right? Even if you pay off your car and you pay off, let's say, with this Nero, uh, you pay 11,000 US dollars and you pay off the 11,000 US dollars, that car is technically not yours because the battery is not yours, right? So what if you sell the car? What happens is probably you get whatever uh, the price of the car in itself and the battery subscription will have to be handed over to the next owner and so forth. But I, I'm very curious as to uh, how expensive the uh, the subscription would be. If it's like, let's say, man, uh, I'm trying to think, like like a couple of hundred bucks, like a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, that'll come out to about uh, about a thousand two hundred US dollars, ten. Yeah, it, like a hundred dollars, I think it would work out. Um, but 100, maybe 150, but to anything more than that might be a little bit pricey here. Uh, we're gonna talk about now, new smartphone rates. Uh, it seems like we'll be able to enjoy cheaper smartphones with 5G options, uh, with some new 5G rate systems announced by SK Telecom. So uh, Tan, tell us more about this. Okay, so SK Telecom has announced that they will offer various new 5G plans with enhanced customer options and benefits. SK Telecom is planning to introduce a 5G rate system with payment plans offered in increments of 10,000 won, which amounts to around $7. Now, the good news here is that four of the five new 5G data plans are under 60,000 won, which is relatively cheap compared to many of the current options that they provide. The new 5G data plan will be available from August 5th. Now, SK Telecom stated that it divided the 5G general plans at such price intervals to cater to more customers' needs, and they expect younger customers and single-person households to be able to get the most out of these new release plans as these demographics are more accustomed to changing subscriptions online and are more interested in affordable offers. SK Telecom's announcement comes after the Korean government urged mobile carriers to come up with more options for 5G subscriptions earlier this month. And the Ministry of Science and ICT's minister, Lee Jong-ho, had encouraged companies to make more options, saying that we have to make an active effort to come up with more 5G subscription plans that meet more consumers' demands. However, still the National Assembly and many, many civic groups are not completely satisfied with these new options, saying that a lot more detailed plans need to be introduced. So the Ministry of Science and ICT plans to continue to push SK Telecom and other mobile carriers to increase their option, and SK Telecom agrees and states that this is just a good start for many more changes to come in the future. Yeah, let me tell you why this is important. And uh, I learned this a uh, couple months ago. I just recently changed my phone, right? Uh, it's gotten to a point where I think all phones are super nice now. You don't really need to, there's so much checking out my phone right now. Uh, but. <laughs> I, phones, you say, like 5G, right? Any of you guys use 5G internet or anything like that? Have you noticed how fast it is? Oh, it's super fast, oh, yes. Really? You notice I, that? I, I sometimes I don't, don't notice the difference, <laughs> actually. I don't notice it, right? Really? I actually just changed my phone as well, so maybe oh, really? it's just oh, the phone. I see. My mm. phone is quite 
I think it's quite but the oldest. You, you, well, you have, you, well, you have 5G. Do you have 5G on your phone? Is my question. I think you might be LTE if it's yeah. Uh, I think it's it's, I'm using LTE, but I was uh, actually I compared the 5G when I use um, my uh, laptop in, at a cafe, for instance. Mm. The 5G and the regular uh, internet, I don't really see a difference in the speed there. Yeah. But on the phone, I can't tell. I guess because I have no, not been using it. Well, yet. I, I had used LTE and then I switched to you know 5G, uh, and I've, I've noticed even because I checked out you know a buddy's phone because I was getting the same phone and I. Looked at how fast 5g was and it's fast but it's not to the point like i'm not gonna need faster internet right all i basically do is like text people and look at uh you know videos and stuff like that it's really not gonna make a huge difference so i asked him listen i don't want this 5g option uh i just want really cheap monthly bill and uh you know can i just sign up for just lte and then they basically say well phones these days they're only 5g compatible mm -hmm. and so you have to have 5g i was like what do you mean you have to have to have 5g he said your phone is 5g only and so you have to sign up and so it's super expensive not only are the phones expensive but uh, the 5g uh billing is uh super expensive as well which is why if you have cheaper options uh it's going to make a lot of people people more happier i guess i'm wondering if i could change my bill now if it's getting cheaper because it's <laughs> super expensive these days uh, speaking of options uh, i just want to quickly go back to uh you know the the ev battery subscription mm -hmm. find the cost yeah for actually not for um korea but uh, the us the 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 vietnamese company that has started that service in the us and it charges around 44 uh, dollars or 35 dollars a month that's not that bad. is super yeah. cheap wait 45 dollars a month mm -hmm. 44 or 35 there are two options what, what, what why is for there traveling option? 500 kilometers oh yeah I, so it's like no it's like leasing so mm -hmm. uh when you lease a car uh they tell you that in a year you can't drive more than let's say like 20 uh 20 000 kilometers uh, is what they say and so, I mean, the more you charge your batteries and the more you use your batteries, like it, it just gets lower and lower and it just doesn't charge enough or it doesn't uh, have the, uh, what is it, the, the capacity as as a new one, which is one of the reasons. But uh, what, what do you say it was every month you could only drive how, how much? Five, five, 500. 500 kilometers. I'm trying to think how many kilometers I drive. Uh, I drive, oh man, that's not going to be my demands. Really? Uh, no, it's, <laughs> I drive a lot, uh, is what I do. But that is very cheap. That is affordable. That, that is good news. I hope uh, South Korea also picks up mm -hmm. uh, that option here. So I uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, let's shift our focus to COVID 19 updates here. Uh, we are unfortunately still uh, covering COVID 19 issues on the program here. We've seen caseloads surpassing 110,000 for the first time in more than three months right now. It's only a Tuesday number. We usually see even higher numbers uh, come Wednesday. And uh, by now, South Korea may have more than 20 million accumulated cases. Uh, so so give us the latest figures that came in. Right. Uh, um, usually we do get some uh, numbers already in the evening. So maybe we have already surpassed uh, 20 million cases. It's highly likely that Korea has surpassed that milestone as the total number of cases as of 12 a.m. already stood at 19 million 
932,439. Yeah. So we would just need around 67,000 additional cases to reach that 20 million milestone. So when the official number comes out tomorrow, uh, Korea has probably hit uh, more than 20 million cases in total. Uh, and it just took a little less than 800 days for 10 million people to get infected and just a little over 130 days to hit 20 million. Uh, and also the capital Seoul alone now has 4 million cases as of this uh, Tuesday. And uh, the daily number of cases this Tuesday stood at 111,789. And it's the first time that we're reaching above 110,000 in three and a half months. And it's the highest figure in 105 days. Uh, however, we're not seeing that doubling effect anymore. No. Because compared to a week ago, it's a 1.13 fold rise. Compared to two weeks ago, 1.52 fold rise. But the number of imported cases has hit an all-time high today. 568 cases were imported cases this Tuesday, and that's the highest in now uh, since uh, January 2020. And also we've got close to 450,000 people that are being currently treated at home. And the BA5 subvariant. Now, recently, we've got over 60% of cases that are this uh, strain. So that's a big concern as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, if we're talking about 20 million people, that's, uh, I mean, we have 51 million people here in the country, a little over 51 uh, million. So, I mean, that's, uh, wow, 40% of the population. And I believe it's even more than that because many people these days don't really uh, report their illness yeah. that they had, have COVID. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing, right? Uh, you know, I mean, we're getting tested, but there are sometimes, you know, you're so asymptomatic that you don't even know you're sick and, uh, you know, you just don't get reported. So, yeah, you're right. It actually could be uh, higher figures there. Uh, we're going to move on to a different issue here uh, on the international front. The MPT Review Conference resuming recently after a two-year hiatus. Uh, this, of course, brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. South Korea, of course, participating as a party of the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And I uh, can only imagine that we had a lot to say about our neighbor, North Korea. So, Tayan, uh, let's get the, uh, the details of this. Yes, so the UNMPT conference is currently taking place at the UN headquarters in New York, and it started from the 1st of August, so yesterday. The government of the Republic of Korea, of course, participated in the review conference to have balanced discussions on the three pillars of the NPT, which are nuclear disarmament, non-proliferation, and peaceful uses of nuclear energy. Now, during the general debate, Deputy Foreign Minister for Multilateral and Global Affairs, Ham Sang-wook, who attended the meeting as a government representative, criticized North Korea as being the only country in the world that openly developed nuclear weapons by manipulating the NPT. Ham emphasized that North Korea has launched 31 ballistic missiles in 2022 alone and is presumed to have concluded all technical preparations necessary to conduct its seventh nuclear test. He then urged North Korea to stop with all of these provocations, observe the UN Security Council resolutions, and of course, return to full compliance with the NPT to realize complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization. He then went on to say that the world's response to Pyongyang is very important as it will be a litmus test on the survival of the NPT program itself. 
However, the government representative was very quick to add that South Korea has much intentions to continue dialogue with North Korea, as he repeatedly said that Seoul will always respond with open arms to talks with the North. And in the meeting, Korea also stressed that the world needs to redouble efforts to enhance cooperation for peaceful nuclear use and explained that South Korea is actively seeking ways to do so as one of the biggest nuclear energy producing countries in the world. Yeah, but the the big big concern is North Korea is not willing to talk, right? And that's kind of been the way that it has been for like almost three years now. Uh, but nevertheless, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has also addressed the NPT on Monday, reaffirming the role of Washington's nuclear weapons. Uh, so uh, tell us that role, what that role is and what else uh, the top diplomat of the United States had to say. Well, Blinken in his speech uh, to the Non-Proliferation Treaty said uh, the world is in a critical moment, reiterating the need and importance of the NPT. Uh, what he also stated is the U.S.'s role in terms of its nuclear weapons uh, are not for use but defensive in nature. He said, quote, as long as nuclear weapons exist, the fundamental role of U.S. nuclear weapons is to deter nuclear attacks on the United States, on our allies and partners. Uh, he noted the treaty is under increasing strain, referring to challenges in the non-proliferation area, mentioning Iran, North Korea, and in different ways challenges posed by Russia. Now, while calling on Iran to comply with the Iran nuclear deal regarding North Korea, Blinken criticized it for continuing to expand its nuclear program and provocations in the region. I think he said uh, even unlawful nuclear program. And he uh, specifically referred to a potential seventh nuclear test. Uh, now, in regards to Russia, Blinken highlighted that uh, Moscow back in January had stated with the other NPT nuclear states, the U.S., UK, France, and China, the importance of avoiding nuclear war and armed races. But that the very next month, it decided on a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And uh, actually, many headlines, uh, not here in Korea, which more focus on North Korea, many yeah. other headlines uh, abroad actually focused on Blinken's statement referring to Russia. Guys, uh, we are going to talk about uh, what is probably going to be one of the biggest news uh, in the next 24 hours right now, because U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is reportedly visiting Taiwan on August 2nd, which is today. And I had to do a, a double check on what time it is right now in Taiwan. It's only an hour difference. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's 5.33 p.m. Uh, over in Taiwan. And the reason why I say this is because uh, there were some sources that uh, she was going to arrive in Taiwan come Tuesday evening, uh, was what they said. Um, we've heard threats left and right from uh, China if she does decide to visit Taiwan. Uh, despite this, it does seem like she's going to be going. Apparently, there's been uh, some Chinese planes flying, flying very close to the median line in the strait there. Uh, Tanya, let's talk about her visit here. What exactly is going on? Right. So as you said, the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is expected to visit Taiwan today as a part of her tour in Asia, according to the foreign press. Now, Biden administration officials were initially not favorable to the idea because they worried about China's response to such a high-profile visit. This is very much understandable as U.S.-China relations are already at a very low point and Pelosi's public itinerary had not included stops to Taiwan, it had only included stops to South Korea and Japan. 
So also, as of now, the precise purpose of Pelosi's trip is not very clear. However, now the Defense Department is working around the clock to make sure that the Speaker's visit will be made in a very safe manner. And the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, backed Pelosi's decision and stated that the Congress is an independent, co-equal branch of the government and that the decision to visit Taiwan is entirely the Speaker's. The U.S. administration stresses that there is a president to the visit as congressmen have visited Taiwan in the past. So basically, the United States is saying that if the speaker's visit does escalate tensions with China, the fault would be entirely on Beijing. Uh, let me just tell you how serious it is right now. Uh, apparently, according to uh, photos from Al Jazeera, uh, Taiwan is preparing for air raid shelters. Uh, because of this. From subway stations to shopping malls, Taiwan is preparing air raid shelters for a possibility of a Chinese attack. So they're saying this could get so serious with uh, the visit by Pelosi that uh, China could even attack uh, Taiwan is uh, what they're saying. I mean, I, I, this is, again, I mean, in the Washington's perspective, they're going, listen, I mean, it's just a very innocent travel. It's just an innocent visit here. But of course, China, with uh, some of the statements that Washington has made before in regards to Taiwan and China, uh, they're going to take this as a threat here. But um, again, I mean, some people are saying, is the timing right here, especially because of the U.S.-China relations being, again, something soured for some quiet time now. But knowing China, they must have responded in some way. Uh, let's get uh, the Chinese response here to wrap things up here, Tayan. Exactly. So there were rumors in Washington that China could shoot down our plane or the visit could trigger a full-blown crisis. And we can all just hope that the situation doesn't come to that. The Chinese do seem quite disturbed by the visit, though, as expected, as they dispatched warplanes in the air defense identification zone of Taiwan. Four Chinese J-16 warplanes flew around the waters southwest of Taiwan on the 1st of August, and Taiwan issued radio warnings and deployed air defense systems in response. The Chinese Air Force stated that the reason for sending fighter jets around Taiwan was to prepare for a possible war, and military experts are of course linking Chinese current actions to the visit by the House Speaker. Chinese President Xi Jinping is also very outspoken when it comes to Taiwan. During his two-hour phone call with President Biden on July 28th, President Xi Jinping warned Biden that those who played with fire would perish in flames. He said China firmly opposed separatist movements towards Taiwan independence and interference by external forces. He said that he really hoped the U.S. would be clear-eyed on the issue and honor the One China principle. Jeez, preparing for a possible war is the, the wording that was being used here. Uh, I, man, if you thought uh, Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine was bad, I mean, this is certainly going to make things worse if it does happen. And I think there were some people who are very concerned that there could potentially be uh, a, Ch a Chinese invasion of uh, Taiwan, but uh, the last thing uh, we want now is another one. <sighs> my goodness! Like, can we like this is what I was like? Can we take a break from you know all these crazy news? You know, we had the pandemic for like over two and a half years, and then we had the Russian invasion, and now uh, this. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really really concerning the way that things are panning out uh, globally. Uh, but nevertheless, guys, thank you very much uh, for your coverage today and your insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe, and uh, we'll see you guys again. See you. See you.
You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.